How many opened up the gifts already this morning? Yeah? One person, no doubt. Oh, okay. Misty over there. Not yet, huh? No, no? Okay. Don't be rushing me. It'll be short, but... All right. Well, Saints, uh, you do have your children with you. We just asked uh, if you need the bathroom, uh, straight in the back, down the steps. You make a quick left. The bathrooms are there uh, for you. And if you need something to drink or you need assistance, uh, let us know. Um, our brother John's back there. Wayne's up in the front. Um, we do have Brother Nick here somewhere as well. They can help you uh, with any questions or anything you might need uh, for your family here today. We're going to do one verse today, and our verse for today is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And I'll be reading from the Lexham English Bible. The Lexham English Bible in Isaiah chapter 9, verse, verse 6. If you could turn there with us, that's where we will be. Starting, well, starting in verse 6 and only in verse 6. For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us, and a dominion will be on his shoulder, and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you be with us this Christmas morning? Be close. As we draw to you, you promised that you would draw nigh to us. We do that this morning, Lord, as we do every Sunday morning. Christmas for us is every Sunday. <laughs> for we celebrate your birth, death, and resurrection. And so we thank you, God. Be with us today. Be with me to serve, Lord God, your word faithfully. And be with those who hear, that they would hear faithfully. That their eyes and ears will be open to your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So it's important to note who the author of this book is, and it's no surprise that it is the prophet Isaiah. You see that in verse 1, where it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Now, this book was written around 739, 681 B.C., and the prophet here prophesied to the kingdom of Judah to warn them and also to encourage them. Judah had times of favor with God and times of rebelling against God. They rebelled by worshiping false gods made of wood and stone. Now, how many remember our Isaiah studies in the small groups, right? You remember that the Assyrians and the Egyptians threatened Judah with war, but then God showed mercy and spared Judah from them? You see the faithfulness of God there in delivering his people? However, with the apparent troubles they faced from other nations, Isaiah wrote in hopeful expectation of their ultimate deliverance that will come in the future. See, sometimes deliverance don't come immediately. God has a prepared time. It might come then and there when you pray. But it comes when God sees fit. And sometimes deliverance doesn't happen immediately because God has a lesson for you. 
So we're not to pull on God like he's a butler who has on that, what do you call that, that little tray where he has deliverance for you and he has to serve you. That's not how this works. He's a deliverer. But sometimes he'll let you go through a season of challenges so that you know the deliverer, which is far more important than your deliverance. So this was to stir in God's people an expectation, this call of deliverance of their being delivered in the future, that God would come and be with this people and deliver them from their adversaries. Though there was trouble ahead, they will be reminded that God is a deliverer. And the greatest hope will come from the deliverer appearing to them, the appearance of God's only son. So chapters 7 and 8 have prophecies that came to pass when the Assyrians took over Zebulun and Naphtali, regions in the area of Capernaum, north of the Sea of Galilee. And so the Assyrian king invaded around 734, which brought much suffering to God's people. There was a time of struggle for God's people. There was the threat of much suffering. There was, at the moment, spiritual darkness due to worship of false gods made of wood and stone. And so our chapter today begins with the messianic prophecy in verse 1, meant to encourage God's people with what God will do in the future, which is cited in Matthew's gospel. And so the northern tribal regions of Zebulun and Naphtali will be invaded, but a glorious Messiah would come and bring true deliverance from what matters most. Isaiah 9.1 says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And so the prophet begins to encourage Judah with their future deliverance, which does not primarily mean the other nations or deliverance from them, or their threats. Instead, it will be their deliverance from the bondage of sin, which is the reason why they found themselves in trouble in the first place. See, sometimes we think we're just in a trial, but some of y'all might be in trouble. There's a difference. Oh, I'm in a trial. No, you're in trouble because you started tripping, you started sinning, and now you're facing the consequences. That's trouble. Trial is for refinement. It's God's sovereign way of pruning you. But trouble is when you did something you weren't supposed to do, and now you're facing consequences. See, I've, had, I've been a pastor a long time, and I tell people, look, that's not a trial. You're in trouble. You need to repent. You need to confess your sin. You need to stop going to other gods. This is the case here. After much idolatry and sin, even in the midst of that, God wanted to show them that he was still a deliverer of them. What a merciful and gracious God. God would do this by sending his son into the world to deliver a people and to reveal who the father is to them. So our sermon outline for today, point number one, a child born, a child born. Number two, a son given. And number three, a ruler revealed. 
So a child born, a son given, a ruler revealed. Point number one, a child born. Notice that the prophet begins his description with the deliverer being a child who is born. Judah's deliverance will come in the form of a child born to a woman. This brings about the doctrine of the incarnation. The incarnation is that act of grace whereby Christ took our human nature into union with his divine person and became a man. This claim is not unique. There's other biters out there, as we used to say. Do y'all still say that? I don't know. Y'all say copy. We used to call that biting in hip-hop culture. Stop biting my rhymes. Stop biting my style. Stop biting my steez. You know, all that stuff we used to say. A lot of biters out there when it comes to the doctrine of the incarnation. But what is unique is the prophetic detail given hundreds of years before its fulfillment and its impact on the world. Jesus is historically proven, and the impact of his earthly ministry is undeniably the most significant event ever in human history. Period. All would happen by a baby born in a feed box in Bethlehem. The prophecy of the child who would be born made sense to them regarding how one entered into the monarchy, talking about Judah. Becoming a king meant that one had to be born from the king's line. However, what happened was that people on the day Jesus was born believed that the king born would show his power through a specific type of deliverance. They wanted freedom from the bondage of Rome, not knowing that they needed freedom from the bondage of sin. See, God's, <laughs> we want deliverance from certain things, but God is concerned primarily with one thing, and that is your sin. The child prophesied by Isaiah was born for God's people, but what he came to do was not in the plans of what people thought they needed when Jesus appeared. Later in Isaiah 53, the prophet goes on to describe what the deliverer would look like. Let's turn there. Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 5. Isaiah 53, 3 to 5. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and acquainted with sickness and like one from whom others hide their faces. He was despised, and we did not hold him in our regard. However, he was the one who lifted up our sicknesses, and he carried our pain. Yet we ourselves assumed him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our, iniqu our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. And so this child born would be despised and rejected. He will be pierced and afflicted. Does this sound like a deliverer to you? Doesn't it sound like he needs delivered? So this child born would suffer and die. Nevertheless, because he was not only a child, but a son given, he would see his offspring, his people, because death would not be able to hold him. This was no ordinary child. This would be God the Son given to his people. A child is not given only here. It would be a son who is given. Remember, it's a child born. But a child is not necessarily given. A son is given. Look at the text. 
A child is born for us, and a son is given to us, which is our second point, a son given to us. Now notice the contrast. A child is born, meaning born in the flesh, a son is given, meaning that the son existed prior to being given. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So before Jesus appeared in Judaism and Hellenistic culture, the title son of God was not a common use of a term. The monastic group that preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls actually pointed to Psalm 2-7 and used it as a messianic title to call the son of God. Now, before Jesus appeared, sonship was used when speaking of God returning to his children. For example, the Maccabean martyrs, if you know uh, intertestamental history, the Maccabean martyrs were called children of heaven. So it was a title where people were called son of God or son of man. You see, I think, I believe it was Daniel that was called son of, uh, son of man. But the title used here to speak of this child who will be born was a title that spoke of the passing on of power and authority as kings did with their offspring. So a child is born, meaning Jesus, who existed before being born a child, came into the world. A son is given. The son given meant that Jesus existed prior to becoming a man. He would inherit what the heavenly father had. And the scriptures are full of this. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. John 3, 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. John 13, 3 speaks of Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. 1 Corinthians 15, 27, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. Is the Bible very clear? Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. I'm in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him <clears throat> as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus owns it all. He owns you. You're not your own. He has authority over the wicked as well. He's storing up wrath for the day of judgment. But for us who have come to faith, he's going to be all inviting to us. On that day when you're supposed to be afraid, 
We're going to be fully accepted into his kingdom. Every person that passes that is a part of this kingdom does not fear judgment. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When we die, the first thing we see is Christ. The first thing we do is worship. And hopefully, because of the joy, I'm going to be laughing, y'all. I'm going to be joyful. The last thing I'm going to think about is all the things I went through here. They're like this compared to him. Because all things are under him. God the Father has made his enemies his footstool. There is no more competition for our passions and our desires at the first sight of who Christ is. We will be fully satisfied. And he will be fully glorified. So this is what the Son of God title means. The New Testament is showered with this emphasis. What is remarkable is that Jesus, the Son of God, shares his inheritance with his brothers and sisters in the body. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, that's us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Hold up, so Jesus was given all things by the Father, and now he's going to share that with his people? I don't know if y'all know how significant that is. That enemies, death, sickness, disease, poverty, everything that this world is bringing because of the result of sin will be under us. Because it's under him. That's what we inherit. I don't know if y'all know how banging Christmas is. I mean, we get the gifts, we, no, no doubt, you know, I love gifts, just a heads up, I love gifts, you know what I'm saying, I love, you know, I don't like surprises, so don't wrap it, just give me, if it's a money card, whatever it is, I'm cool, just, you don't have to wrap anything, don't, don't do any of that, but we love gifts, we love Christmas, we love receiving, but let's put all that aside, and remember, we've received the greatest gift already, we have a deliverer, We've been delivered, and all things are now under our feet. That's what it means to inherit Christ. Have we lost the beautiful and fantastic truth of what it meant for us this season? The greatest gift of all gifts was laid on a feed box. wonder why I have, even having church on Christmas Day is, is so controversial. When maybe we should be here out of all days, we should be here on Christmas. If only we could remember that the son given to us was torn to pieces for our sins. While the world is so preoccupied by tearing pieces up of gift wrapping from their presence. Something's wrong with us when we're too preoccupied with ourselves. Now this is not a shot at giving gifts, but it is a reminder that this season is not about this dude who wears a red suit with a big beard that looks like mine, all white. I don't know how he can do it, but he's at 
this mall, he's at that mall, he's all over the place. That's not what this season is about. We raised our kids uh, to be Christ-centered in our Christmas so much that I remember one of them at Park City uh, was like, who's that? They were pointing at Santa Claus. I was like, job well done. <laughs> job well done. It's not about that. It's about this ruler who's been revealed to us. This was no ordinary child. This was no ordinary title. This was God the Son who was and is the ruler and sustainer of our lives. The greatest gift given to us, the ruler of all things, appeared. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, while still remaining to be ruler of it all. So the people that were tormenting him and lashing him and mocking him while he was going through that, he was holding them together. Holding the very people together that were mocking him. Holding you together while you were mocking him. And being faithless. He is a ruler of all things. Our last point, a ruler revealed in closing. And the dominion will be on his shoulder. And his name is called. And it goes through these titles. But before that, dominion here is meant to communicate power, sovereignty that came from legal authority. This means that Jesus would put on power and sovereignty. He would wear this. His apparel speaks to his position. Dominion will be on his shoulder, on his back. It would be his robe. Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's wearing this. Usually with power, Judah will have thought of control, especially when the Assyrians were hostile to God's people. However, this child born, this son, will be granted power to show his strength and reveal the character of the father. Do you know him today? Do you know him? The prophet continues to reveal four titles that describe this child who is the son given by the father. The first title, Wonderful Counselor. What a beautiful title. How would the title, Wonderful Counselor, encourage Judah specifically? Remember, Judah's tripping because, you know, they're seeing the Assyrians and the Egyptians making threats. There's this rumor that they're going to go through our land. So a counselor is someone who's wise, an advisor who gives advice and direction. This would encourage them in that the child born would have wisdom to deal with the issues that they also face. The prophet said this counsel would be wonderful. He will be admired, extraordinary, and distinguished, which speaks to the wisdom he would have. 1 Corinthians 1.30 speaks of Christ Jesus as the one who is wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. See, Jesus not only had wisdom, he is the wisdom from God. We can have wisdom, but if you, if you started calling yourself the wisdom from God, I would be very, I mean, yeah, pride comes before the fall. Right? <laughs> right. Only Jesus could say of himself, he is the wisdom from God. Jesus Christ has the wisdom to care for the affairs of this life. He has done it by the cross. 
that is considered foolish by the world. He is wonderful, admirable, and distinguished. But not only was Jesus the wisdom from God, he was God himself. Title number two, Mighty God. Mighty speaks to his strength and is the title for a mighty warrior or special guard, which they needed to hear during these threats and concerns with foreign nations. This warrior that has great might is God. How encouraging would that be for the people of Judah to hear that this child born, this son given, will be a mighty warrior who is himself God. The child born would be a mighty warrior who is himself God. Isaiah talked about this in Isaiah 42, 13. Where he says, the Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. God got us. He got us. There is no foe, no enemy that can overwhelm us. Our greatest enemy being death. And he defeated death. Amen? What do you got to worry about this season? When the Christian dies, they don't die. They pass on. It's like they skip on death. You know what I mean? Like, no, we don't die, saints. We move on. We move on to see him. This is what Jesus did at the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, you, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us, with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What a mighty warrior. God himself. And for those of you who don't know, Jesus won. He won already. He has passed on these benefits also to his people. His victory is ours. Not only is Jesus the wonderful counselor and the mighty God, he is the everlasting father. Point number three, title number three, John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? If you see me, you've seen him. Everlasting here tells us that this child who will be born, the son who will be given, is eternal. Daniel also prophesied Jesus as eternal when calling him the ancient of days in Daniel 7. Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So whoever has seen Jesus has seen the Father. You don't need any more than Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are distinct persons and the same substance. But when we have seen Christ, we have seen the fullness of God. This is breathtaking. God has given us his best. In God the Father giving his only begotten son, we were given peace through his death and resurrection. Our last 
title here, Prince of Peace. Prince means ruler, commander, captain, meaning that Jesus would be in charge of bringing peace. I need peace. How many need peace here today? How many need security? How many need prosperity? Don't let the prosperity gospel rob that from you. That's a false gospel. God doesn't guarantee prosperity in the things of the world. You can have a negative bank account and still be blessed. Been there in my early 20s. Now that I got older, I got wiser. My bills are being paid. Uh, yeah, I've learned my mistakes. I know what it is to go to the ATM and just pray that there's $20 in that joint because you don't know. I've been there. Every time I went to the ATM, it was a trial. I'm like, man, I hope there's money in there. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. That's not at all descriptive of your justification before God. You don't need money. You don't need wealth. You don't need anything of this world to call you blessed or to give you peace. Peace means safety, security, and prosperity, which we have attained in Christ. This would be sweet to the ears of God's people who are not safe, secure, and prosperous. That was Judah. What does being safe, secure, and prosperous mean for Judah and for us today? Is it measured by how safe we are from danger? Is it measured by how much money we make? Or how many gifts we can buy? Or how much the world loves us? Or the number of accolades we collect from those around us? No, Saint. Being prosperous in the Christian faith means that we have peace with God. And we have peace because he has given us the Prince of Peace. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And he has done this. I love C.S. Lewis, and, and this will be it, where he says, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. That's why he had to give of himself in the Son, who is the Prince of Peace, giving us full redemption and reconciliation with God. So, saying, if you're here today, be encouraged. You have peace with the Lord. You have peace with God. He has been so good to us this season. Even with trials that he lets happen, he is sovereign over that. Maybe with sickness or disease or even a job loss, he's sovereign over that. Those things don't speak to your identity in Christ. Your identity in Christ is in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the greatest gift you've given us in Christ. And we ask, Father, that as we partake of communion, that you will be glorified. <clears throat> be with us today, we ask in Jesus' name. 
Be with those, Lord God, who have lost jobs, lost family members, who are going through trials in this season, who may not have had much to give, <clears throat> but let them rejoice in the greatest gift ever given to us in Christ.